Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I'm so happy to be joined today by a bit of a musical icon. He's a singer, songwriter, and musician. He's also the pastor of Infinite Church. His name is Mark Condon, and he's going to talk to us today about something that as dads we are very passionate about, and that is raising our sons. Show your kids. It means more than what you tell your kids. And, you know, show your sons that you're mm-hmm. faithful. Show your sons that, you know, when your marriage is struggling, you work it out. You, you know, you stick it out. Show them when someone's hurt you, how you remain consistent and just keep moving forward and staying faithful to God. If you're a dad who wants to embrace your God-given mission, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you want even more than that, then head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I'm looking forward to this. I am excited about being with you. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that as well. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a, you're a busy man. You you do quite a bit, and I'm not going to tell everyone what you do. I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell everyone listening a little bit about Mark Condon. What do you do? How long have you been married? How many kids do you have? Give us the good stuff. All right. Well, Carol and I have been married 37 years, wow. and we have four children, uh, one daughter and three boys. And uh, we presently pastor Infinite Church for almost nine years now. We started the church from uh, nothing. And then before that, I was very involved and still somewhat uh, very involved in the worship industry. So that's pretty much my life in a quick nutshell. Yeah, I feel like you're downplaying the uh, the, the worship part of things. Uh, I feel like you've been doing that for quite some time. You've done, you sing, you're a songwriter. Uh, you're also a pretty accomplished pianist, if I remember correctly. Uh, it definitely was my life and uh, made a living out of it and yeah. a ministry out of it for a long, long time. And it was the only thing I really did. So, yeah, it was my focus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember, quick tangent before we actually get into the topic of of raising sons, but I remember when my wife and I were preparing to get married, um, we are in-lawed through uh, marriage, but my soon-to-be wife said, hey, what do you think about Mark Condon playing the piano at our wedding? And I play a little bit. I am, uh, I'd am i consider myself to be a decent hack at the, at the piano. I can do enough to raise an eyebrow here or there, but I know what a good piano sounds like. So when my wife said, uh, how do you feel about Mark Condon playing the piano? My first response was, can he actually play the, play the piano? Because I knew that you wrote <laughs> songs and I knew that you sang. Uh, and you might appreciate this. So before I gave her my my sure answer, I went to uh, Diane Horsley. D- Diane and Dwayne Horsley were the music ministers at our church at the time. And Diane is phenomenal yeah. uh, at the piano. And so I said, Diane, I need you to be honest with me, which she always is. I said, is Mark Condon a good piano player? She's like, yeah, he's such a good piano player. So I was like, okay, that's all I needed to know. Uh, and you did a wonderful job. And, and we really appreciated that. Um my favorite part, I just wish you would have done it in the wedding, was during the rehearsal, you turned Canon and D into a shout beat at the end of it. I just, I wish you would have done that uh, <laughs> during the actual ceremony. My wife would have hated you, but I would have loved it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, good times, good times. But we're talking today about something that is very 
uh, near and dear to dad's hearts, and that is our sons. I think it's a little bit different, at least it is for me, and I'll, I'll ask the question of you, but I know the way that I relate to my son is a little different than the way that I relate to my girls. Maybe I'm a little softer with them, and I have I have to often catch myself with my son, even at the age of six, where I feel like I'm being too hard on him just because I don't know if it's I can see a little bit of myself in him. I know what life will be like for him as he grows up and becomes a man. And I want him to not make, not make the same mistakes that I made. I want him to turn out to be better than me. And with him being my boy, knowing one day he becomes a man, I really want to just pour into him and make sure I get that relationship correct. But like I said, I often find myself being a little harder on him than I am with my girls. So I feel like I'm not alone in that, but I want to ask you, was and is that true in your experience as well, having three boys and a daughter? I would say absolutely. Um, You know, I think somewhere in your heart, you realize that they will be responsible for an entire family one day. So you're concerned of whether they get it spiritually, you're concerned whether they get it financially, you're concerned whether they get it you know, um, even from a work ethic to an integrity ethic to a character ethic. And so I would say we've had these same discussions with Carol and I, you know, in fact, sometimes we've had little kind of arguments about it. I said, Carol, back off because I know, you know, I'm not (laughs) going to be around forever. And I said, I got to make sure these, these guys know how to stand on their own if I'm not around. And, uh, and so, Absolutely. I would say, not that I don't think that women need all, a lot of those same characteristics and, and should really, sure. you know, I said, but there's just something about it that you feel like, you know, uh, in fact, the daughters are another whole dynamic because that's, I think what makes us petrified is we don't know the guy that's going to marry her. And if he has all these characteristics and if he's just a good salesman and he's, you know, snowing us, you know, what we want to hear, right. you know, so, but definitely I think there's a different, I would say I've probably thought the same way as you have. Okay. So let me ask you this. Let's throw it back a little bit into the early days of fatherhood for Mark Condon. When you are early on in this journey of fatherhood and you've got your sons, did you have a plan right out of the gate, even starting with your oldest? You know, I'm having a son. This is exciting. But is there a plan in your mind as to how you're going to raise him? Uh, I would say yes. I mean, I feel like that was part of even the dating process for Carol and I as we talked about how we would raise children. You know, we wanted to see if we were on the same page and uh, we knew that Carol would homeschool. We knew that Carol, I mean, Carol wanted four children. Um, I think we thought when we were at three that, you know, hey, this is probably a good fit until the surprise came with Chase. But, um, you know, but we originally kind of thought that we would have four children. And uh, and right from the get-go, from their education to a lot of their spiritual things. With that being said, uh, I would do things a little different. Maybe we'll talk about that. Um, we had a plan. Was it written down? No. Um, have things, you know, uh, did things morph? You know, as, as you find out every child is very different. Um you know, personality and you can talk to one and they, you know, will buckle in tears and the other one you almost have to hit between the eyes with a <laughs> two by four to get their attention. I mean, they're all so very different. And, uh, but yes, we did have a plan, uh, you know, and we, I would say we, for the most part, 
lived out that plan. Good. Now you talked about there were changes. So your plan at some point evolves and morphs and takes a different shape. And I would imagine that that's due to kids being different and expectations probably having to change because of that. Was that an easy transition to make? You know, you've got this plan set on how you're going to raise your kids and you think, okay, I've got to call an audible. Is that, is that easy to make that adjustment? First of all, I don't think raising children, there's nothing easy about raising children, <laughs> uh, even when they're in their 20s and 30s. Um, Good answer. <laughs> you know, but um, there were some things that were fundamental that we did. You know, for example, Carol chose to educate them. We chose to make them, I mean, a very, very big part of our ministry. Uh, they went to everything. We didn't give them many options to say whether they want to be involved in church and youth groups and things like that. It's, it wasn't even a question. It wasn't an option whether they felt like going to church or not. Um, as long as they were under our roof, there were rules, they knew it. And, uh, and I would say for the most part, we didn't have really rebellious children, not, we didn't have perfect children and we definitely had ornery children, especially the boys. Um, but you know, uh, they weren't rebellious and, uh, I never remember a time where they just thought, Hey, I'm going to challenge him. Uh, I, I, I always contribute all the good parts of my kids came from Carol. If there's any <laughs> negative parts, it came from me. Uh, but you know, we were very intentional with them. Uh, even from the get go that we understood, we were always reading, always studying, just like I think most good parents, you're wanting to be a great parent. Uh, it's not like you get this big, you know, uh, book on how to do it when you have a child. You know, there are books out there, but I mean, it's still, it's, it's like learning theory at home and then standing there and using it in front of people. It's, it's very yeah. different, you know, when it's handed to you. But uh, we did certainly realize their personalities were different. Michael and Bryce were very much like their mom, very caring, very thoughtful, very sensitive. And Jared and Chase were very much alike, very outward, very loud, very um, uh, daring, very um, adventurous. And uh, they were risk takers and they were loud personalities, you know, so. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, they were all very, very different. And even even with themselves, Jared was very different than Chase and Bryce was very, very different than Michael. So you talked about how things changed in your approach and your plan a little bit. And you said just a moment ago that if you could go back, you'd probably do things a little bit different. So let's, let's talk about that from where you are now, just so everyone is aware, all of your, all of your boys, since we're talking about raising sons specifically, no offense to Michael, but all of your boys, they are married and they all have children of their own. Now they have their own families and they have, career paths that they are on, doing things that they want to be doing. They're independent. They're out of your care. They come to you as they need you to talk to you, all that good stuff. So from your perspective now, looking back, what do you think our plan should be as dads when it comes to fathering our sons? Ooh, great question. Um, I'll give you a few things that we did. The number one thing spiritually that I really wanted to pound in my children is the fear of God. And, you know, I said, I don't, from early on, you know, probably 12 and up, you know, I, I told all of my children, you know, I said, you know, I said, guys, I'm not thinking that you're going to embrace 
everything I believe. There's things that I certainly, you know, changed, you know, in some not necessarily values, but lines, I guess, than what my parents believe. And, but I said, if I can drill one thing into all of you, and that is to fear God, because if you truly, you know, are concerned with what God thinks of your life, every decision that you make uh, will be on, you know, the line of, I don't want God to ever take his hand off my life. And so there were decisions that I made as a father and decisions that I, I think I see them making now as fathers. And, and that is, God, I don't want you to ever take your hand off my life. I don't want to do one thing or move in one direction that would take your approval off me, your blessings off me or my family. And uh, so I think that was probably the biggest thing I really wanted my kids to learn is when you make this move, when you make this decision or you tear down this border or this boundary, you know, you need to really have a heart to heart talk with God. God does this take the blessing off my family? Does this take, you know, the favor off my wife, my marriage, my children? Is this move I'm about to make, you know, is it going to affect us for the good spiritually, financially, you know, all those things, you know, all three boys live different, you know, places now. Uh, one lives in Houston, one lives in Knoxville or Maryville area, one lives in Nashville. Uh, certainly not my choice. Selfishly, I would love all my kids to be right close to us, you know, maybe a couple miles down the road, yeah. but, you know, uh, not with us. But, uh, but you know, I, I do see, although I don't like it, you know, selfishly, I do see somewhat the value of them being far enough away that they've got to develop their own marriages, their own family, their own children, and uh, I see some of that. There were things I did in front of them that I wanted them to pick up. And, you know, I wanted them to see me worship. I wanted to see them. I wanted them to see me pray. I wanted them to hear me pray. I remember one time uh, we had like a treadmill that were, was below Chase's bed uh, in his bedroom. And I would go down on the treadmill and, and I would kind of, that was my kind of time. I'd kind of pray and work out at the same time. And I remember Chase one time, I didn't realize this was really happening. He said, Dad, I hear you pray down there. And it kind of stood out to me because I thought, well, if he can hear me pray, then I want to pray specific prayers over him, you know, that he realizes, you know, that I'm, you know, uh, praying for him. And and so I, I wanted my kids to not just know I prayed. I wanted them to hear me pray. I wanted my children not to just know I read the Bible. I wanted them to see I read the Bible. So those were things that I think I really was very intentional about. I wanted them to see that, you know, church mattered to us. It wasn't just an option. If they got involved in sports, I wanted them to know that you can play sports, but never over a service time. And I was taught that way. It worked for me. And and I felt like I wanted to pass on those same values to my children that it's, you know, there's nothing more important than church, the kingdom of God, and our walk with God. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful fundamental that all of us as dads need to have. Some of the things you said, I think, fit in line with theologically how we should approach things, how you're willing at the beginning of what you started talking about, how you're willing to say, I understand that you might choose to believe 
a little differently than I do at some point in your life. Because you said even you changed some of the lines compared to what your parents instilled into you and what they taught you. And I think that's a really good thing. The Bible talks about how it's not in man to direct his own path. That's that's what God does for us. And I often say on the podcast that if it's not even in ourselves to direct our own path, then why would we think as dads that we have it to define our children's paths as well? So what I think we do is we partner with God on this journey of fatherhood, and we give them the guidance, such as what you did, giving them the guidance to always have this healthy fear and reverence of God. And regardless of the choices you make, ask yourself, is this going to cause God to not favor me or to not bless this decision or to disapprove of what I am doing? Give them that guidance, but then you allow them to have that relationship with God where God actually defines their path. And I think that that is, I think that's a wonderful principle that all of us as dads should have. So let's just talk about this and maybe you have an example for this one. Is there anything that you either did that you would do differently, or is there something that you didn't do that you wish you would have done when your boys were still at home with you? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. You know, we had this little agreement with our kids um, that, you know, if they did great in school, if they um, were respectful and, and they were, you know, faithful in church, working on their walk with God, you know, that we felt like they were pursuing the things of God and not challenging or rebelling. Uh, we had another little thing. If you didn't kiss a girl before you're 16, that we would buy them a car. Um <laughs> You know, it wasn't a brand new car. It was, but it wasn't like something they would be embarrassed of either. And uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, kind of a manipulative pair parental thing. <laughs> it did work all but on, on two of them, not on one of them. I can't tell you which one failed. Um, but um, but it was you know we really wanted to set goals is really what I was trying to do and let them realize that you know there are blessings that come with right decisions. And yeah. there are prices to pay and consequences to pay with poor decisions. Jared, funny story. Jared uh, was, first of all, he did do it. Uh, uh, he's the one that made it to 16. And he, when he was at driver's ed, we kind of surprised him, bring up his car as he's getting out of driver's ed. And all the kids, of course, he was homeschooled. So he never had like, you know, secular friends kind of thing. I mean, it's pretty much his whole life was revolved around church and, and I remember he gets in the car and, and he was telling me, he said, Dad, all my friends are thinking, how'd you get that car? And and he said, I told him, I said, I didn't kiss a girl until I was 16. And he said, Dad, they looked at me like I had three eyes or something. <laughs> and, and I was like, Jared, you don't tell your friends that. You know? <laughs> uh, but he, uh, you know, he was, he was, he was, Jared was innocent and kind of funny even at 16. But then again, I really felt like, you know, we did something well with our kids that they didn't get get distracted and focused on things that really weren't, you know, weren't to be focused on at 16 years sure. old. And, you know, so if I have any regrets, I, you know, I don't know if getting a child a car is the best thing. I, you know, I, we really, um, Michael had a job, of course, she's a daughter, but um, the boys, I kind of really introduced them to entrepreneurialism because I'm very entrepreneurial and, and, um, and I really, you know, tried to teach them teach lessons. We bought we bought a bunch of gumball machines one time, which was a mistake. I certainly regret that move. That was a lot of work. <laughs> um, but I was trying to teach them how to, 
you know, uh, realize they can work for themselves and do much better than if they work for other people, uh, typically. And, and so then I, um, you know, I wish I would have given them structure. I wish if I'd have lived by a Chick-fil-A, I would have given anything for all four of my kids to work for Chick-fil-A for at least a year. That If I was starting out now, I would I would ask my kid, say, listen, you're going to work at Chick-fil-A for one year, um, you know, because I would have liked them to answer to somebody else besides me. Um, I would have liked them to see structure in their life uh, because I think entrepreneurs can be tend to be you know, um, scatterbrained sometimes and just squirreling all over the place, you know, uh, and I think just being in an environment, uh, outside of our home, outside of everything, getting a paycheck and learning how to budget that paycheck on a consistent basis there. I wish I would have done that. If I could do it all over again, I'd have asked all my kids to at least work one year. The reason I like Chick-fil-A is because I think their culture is amazing and I'm a huge, huge culture beef. Um, so, uh, you know, certainly I have a lot of other regrets of, you know, times that I felt like I was too hard on them. Um, you know, when we were, went to work, I was gone a lot. I traveled every week for years. Um, Carol and I had a little rule when our kids started getting older that I would not be gone more than three days a week. And, um, and so I, um, kind of chose for my kids to go through my calendar and look for different things, you know, look for different places I was going throughout the year that they would go with me on that trip. Um, I, I, I wish I would have probably asked more, what are your dreams uh, versus, you know, Hey, this is what I think you'll excel at. I I'm a firm believer in certainly pointing our children in the direction. I think that they'll prosper in, but I wish I would have taken a little bit more time and just kind of ask, what are your dreams? I think that's, Hmm. I think it's a great question to ask your children. What are your dreams? What do you want to do? Um, I didn't force music on my boys, even though they're all three of them are very musical um, or artistic. I didn't force that on them. Uh, in fact, Carol wanted me to force more of it on them, uh, but I didn't want them to ever feel like they had to do what I did. But what I did do is provide musical instruments in their lives and we always had equipment. And when I when they started to get interested in that, uh, then I kind of fanned the flame and I would fuel that. You know, just about the time Jared would maybe get a little bored with the guitar, I'd go out and buy him a brand new guitar or a brand new pedal or, you know, brand new amp, something that would get them all excited again. And we did that mm-hmm. kind of with all of them to try to, you know, put fire behind their passion. Sure. I think that that is incredible wisdom. First, you know, asking them what their what their dream is. I think that's a that's a really good thing. I think that's probably a big thing that fathers tend to struggle with because oftentimes it seems to me in conversations that I've had with other dads, you always want your boys to in some way follow in your steps. And this is the big struggle that we have as Christian dads, because our mission and our goal is not to raise our sons in our image, but it's to raise them in God's image. And so that can be a bit of an obstacle that we have to overcome. But asking them what their dream is and then trying to help them and support them in that effort, I think, uh, is, a, is a wonderful nugget of advice. But you talked about how you're entrepreneurial and how you wanted to implement the, this entrepreneurial identity into your boys. And I think that you did a good job at that. I I know specifically with Jarrett, 
he's very entrepreneurial. He has had tons of different things that he's done. I know he's had a, a little coffee cart business. I know that he has done the vending machine thing. I know right now he's finding success uh, working with Airbnb. He's accumulated multiple properties and he's he's having success on that front. I know Chase started his media company and he's had success with this content creation and uh, social media marketing that he's doing. Was it ever difficult for you? Because you know you talked about you know, you didn't want to impose the the musical life on your kids, but they did gravitate to it. And they're all relatively accomplished in the musical front. That's something that I know you could speak to very easily because it was your life for so long. But did you ever find it difficult when your boys came to you and they said, Dad, I'm thinking about doing this? Was it hard for you to support them, not understanding exactly what they wanted to do? Or was it easy for you to say, this is your entrepreneurial pursuit? I support it. How can I help? Yeah, great question. You know, I think probably most fathers, I think we all want our kids to succeed. Some some fathers, I think, get really caught up in, I want you to do what I did. And then some fathers really get caught up. I definitely don't want you doing what I did. Like, you know, something I've worked hard so you could become a doctor. I worked hard so you could become an attorney or something like that. And and so they get really frustrated if their kids don't become really what they want them to be. And whether it's a pastor handing over church to his son or whether it's a, you know, dentist practice, you know, handing over his dental practice to his son, you know, because you think, man, I worked so hard to get it there. I was always kind of a little afraid because I played in the music industry at such a high level that I, you know, that I thought, man, I don't want my kids to feel like they got to do what I did because what if they don't get the opportunities that I had and, and then don't succeed and feel like, man, I'm not pleasing my dad. You know, I'm not, my dad's disappointed in me because I'm not doing it, you know, just like he did it. Or, you know, so I was really trying to be careful you know, uh, that I did not place too high expectations on them in what I wanted. Um, you know, I certainly felt like entrepreneurial, uh, to be an entrepreneur is healthy. But again, not every personality is cut out and has the same risk factors to be an entrepreneur. So I'm, I wouldn't be disappointed if they went and had an IBM job or Apple job for the rest of their life either. I just want them to be happy. I want them to be fulfilled. I want them to be able to provide well for their families. Um, I think every child, certainly every son, desires so much to have the approval of their dad. You know, I've even watched my kids as they're all making their decisions. I can definitely sense, and I know I did, you know, sense that, man, I wonder if dad's proud of me. I wonder if dad's, you know, proud of this move I've made. Um and then on the other hand, as a dad, I realized where I've struggled, where I've made mistakes. I remember when I first got married, someone made the stupid decision that, you know, they told me that, uh, that hey, you'll always have a car payment. You always have a house payment. So I just went out and thought, well, shoot, I'm going to hurry and get this, you know, and got me a car payment real quick. You know, then I realized, you know, several years down the road how dumb that was, you know. And <laughs> so, you know, I remember when my kids decided, hey, we're going to go get a new car. And I was like, oh, God, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, and Carol. <laughs> You know, I could tell they were hurt that I wasn't excited about that decision. And Kara would say, you know, Mark, you did this. You've got to allow them to make these same choices. If they're there or their wives feel like this is what they've got to do, you know, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether it hurts, whether, you know, it works. You know? and, and so, 
you know, <laughs> that was hard for me not to speak into their lives because I am a strong personality, you know, um, but it's true. I would have done that. I remember when Jared wanted to Airbnb his first house, you know, and I, I've owned lots of real estate. It was kind of a, a way for me to have a diversion and invest in my future. And uh, Michael bought her first piece of real estate before she was 18 years old. You know what I mean? So it's wow. real estate has been a big deal of our lives, you know, and, but I remember when Jared, you know, I also know the downfalls and, and the things that made me nervous and can't sleep at night about real estate as well. And so Jared said, Hey, I'm going to Airbnb in my house. And I'm like, Oh God, Jared, don't do that. That's a nice home. People <laughs> will mess it up. And I was like panicking. Well, a year later when he was making great money, I was like, yeah, that was a great idea. <laughs> so I think learning to allow your kids to grow and, uh, you know, actually now funny thing is Jared and I are invested in, in some property together now that I, now that I know that he can, you know, do it, you know, but yeah. you know, there's always those things you just wonder about your children, but, uh, definitely, um, I, I don't know if I answered that question, I guess, property, but, uh, we were intentional even about teaching them how to be entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you did just because like, like both of us mentioned, it's it's difficult sometimes for dads to be supportive and get behind the ideas of our children when we think to ourselves, well, we've been there and we've done that and we have experience and you need to take our experience because it's the right experience and it can be difficult sometimes to support that. So your skepticism with Jarrett first starting and then realizing, okay, this actually is working and then having that support and just supporting them from the beginning of having this entrepreneurial pursuit and trying to instill that in them. I, I know, I think, I think you answered the question um, very well, but let me ask you this. We've talked about previously every kid being different. Now with your sons, I don't know if you were able to have the same pursuit. I know you talked about having to smack some of them in, in between the eyes with a two by four. You don't have to tell me which one that was, but um, can you talk about uh, some of the different ways, methods, and approaches that maybe you had to use um, with your sons? Well, you know, like I said, Bryce is a lot like his mom. He's very thoughtful, very considerate, very um, contemplative, more quiet, really, than the other boys. And so I, I really quickly learned that I could speak to Bryce and Bryce was very, very tender hearted. I think all the boys were tender hearted, but Jared and Chase definitely, you could just speak direct to them. They would get over it and move on. Bryce, if you, you know, if you said something to him, he was a lot like his mom. He's going to take that in and it may get caught in his soul if he doesn't really, you know, understand. And I never wanted to, uh, to destroy the soul and their passion. And, you know, Jared, um, I remember when Jared was 12, Jared was, gosh, he was so ADD, you know, and I'm not sure he was technically did that, but I know he had the attention span of a nap. That's what I can tell you. We never <laughs> had him diagnosed, but I mean, he was just all over the, all over the map, you know, and he was little, he's still little, but I mean, he was puny as a kid, you know, so I think that affected some of his, you know, uh, identity. And, and I mean, it took him, Carol would start him in school. He started, you know, eight in the morning and at eight o'clock at night, he was still doing school. You know I mean? He just, he, he just, 
he was always thinking about things and, and dreaming about things. And, and so finally, you know, I, I, one day I went out and I bought him a guitar and that was about 12 years old. And, and I think every child has a combination and it's our job as parents to find that combination. And I remember I bought him a guitar, came back and the kids spent hours on that guitar. And his youth pastor said, Hey, you know, I heard you got a guitar. I want you to lead worship in two weeks. Well, I mean, he didn't know anything. He walked to my office and said, Hey, Pastor Tom said I'm supposed to lead worship for two weeks. Can you show me, you know, three songs that have the same three chords in them that I can learn how to play? And, and I said, absolutely. And we did. We sat down. And I mean, from that moment on, Jared became rabid about music. And, and, and it changed the way he did school. It changed the way he really did a lot of things. Because we found that little combination with him. For him, it was music. Well, then, you know, Bryce, uh, Bryce was probably the most natural musician of all of the boys. And, I mean, when Bryce was little, he would literally crawl up against the speaker and lay his face against the speaker because he wanted to feel it, not just hear it. And uh, so, so then when Jared kind of took off, Bryce kind of took off, even though he's five years younger. And, uh, and begin to really, you know, get on the drums and become a beast of a little drummer. And, um, of course, then Chase, you know, he's, you know, eight years younger than Jared. And, and so he, you know, he um, didn't want to do guitar because Jerry guitar. He didn't want to do drums because Bryce did drums. So he thought, well, hey, I'm going I'm to take up the keys, you know. So he took up the keys. And, and, uh, and then, of course, as he got a little older, you know, uh, we started videoing some things and doing lessons because, again, we were working on some. I owned a iClub, which scattered music around the world, and then we started these video lessons. and And so Bryce would show them how to play the drums on it. And Jerry would show them how to play the guitar on it. And Bryce or Chase got in this thing about video, and, and of course, then the whole video thing kind of took off for him. At, at you know, probably around fourteen years old, I would say. And, and he just became this freakish little nerd on video and, and how he edited it. And, and, and so that became a passion. So today, obviously, he makes his living, you know, with video and graphics, you know. So I think finding all of their little nuances, they're all very different. Um, you know, Jared, you know, things had to really make sense to Jared. And it had to be logical to him, you know. So you can just say do it because I said so, you know, I mean, Jared was a why person. Everything had to make sense to Jared and be logical to him. You just, you know, you just didn't tell him, Hey, this is, we always did this. You do this. I mean, it had to make sense with, um, you know, Chase, you know, again, Jared and Chase were very similar. Um, Chase is the most like me probably. And uh, in the sense that, you know, Chase is not as easily offended. Chase, I mean, you could, you could, you could speak direct to Chase and he would be like, okay, yeah, that hurt. All right, now let's go on. So you talked about something that is so good here, and that is identifying these, these differences in your children and then working on those differences. How, how long does it take to, to identify those things? I would imagine that some of those things I feel like I can already identify some of those things in my oldest two for sure. And they're six and four. So um, how long does it take to identify some of those characteristics? I know with Jarrett, you said it, was an, it wasn't until he was 12 that you actually 
put the guitar in his hand and then you realized, Hey, this is, this is really taken off. So, um, actually don't, don't answer that question. Answer this question. How do we go about identifying these differences in our children as dads? What should we look for? I think the biggest thing is we be present, you know, and really pay attention to their lives because I think there's clues all along. And, you know, for example, when we would take pictures, I mean, I don't know if there was a picture we have of family pictures where Bryce wasn't always upset about something. You know, I mean, he always had a little pout face. And, you know, I mean, if you said anything, I mean, he would take it personal. And, you know, so you, you begin to really catch their personalities. Um, you know, I think if I watch my kids' boys now, like Jared, you know, has Arlo and Nico. And Arlo's very eloquent, you know, very, I mean, just got a little brain that's moving all the time. Little Nico's, you know, like in his own little world and, you know, just um, quiet. He kind of, you know, you don't even know if he hears you or understands you and the, unless you say food and then you realize this kid hears everything we say, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's just, it is amazing how, you know, kids can grow up in the same home with the same values, with the same parents and be so unbelievably different in personalities. And so I think, yeah. you know, it's our job as parents to be present, to listen, to pay attention. You know, one kid, you know, wants to play with cars and the other kid wants to play with music. You know, I mean, uh, one kid, you know, uh, loves this to eat and the other kid loves that to eat. I mean, they're just, they're just so different. And so I think the challenge is, uh, even when it comes to age, Carol and I were very intentional about uh, letting our kids be kids um, and letting them just enjoy life. They didn't really know what I did, you know, for all those years other than I played music. In fact, if you'd ask them what I did, they would tell you, my dad doesn't work. He does music. You know, I mean, so, uh, you know, their lives were very simple. Jared was always about critters, frogs, fish, scum pond you know i mean pond scum i mean he just jared was always just like all oh boy you know um you know and you know, so we learned what they loved you know um for a while you know jared was little so when he was young he would always want you know um baggy clothes i think he felt that like that made him bigger and carol would be like, my god that's embarrassing mark that we're taking him out like that you know i said carol let's not pick that fight you know then it got to the point now you know not skinny jeans you know and you know, it's the absolute opposite of what you know used to do so you know they change they more they're finding themselves and um i think make sure you don't create environments that foster rebellion and mm. I, I think it's really important that you pick your battles and not, you know, don't get overboard on what people think of you as parents, you know, uh, be overboard on what you think of your kids because, you know, your kids are making decisions, making choices. And, and, and we just chose our battles, you know, in the grand scheme of things in life, who gives a flip, you know, if he's wanting to wear you know, baggy pants, you know, I mean, um, again, yeah. if it's ungodly, that's a different story, but you know, we just allow them to kind of work through their little personalities. Yeah. I think that's wonderful advice being present so that you're actually around to identify these things that 
That's just common sense. And I, th- th- that can be a difficult thing for us to do sometimes because we often feel like we're so busy and we've got so much going on that we just don't always have the time to be present. But um, clearly it's it's worth it and it's valuable for us to be present. Um, and then choosing your battles. That's 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 a, that's a good piece of advice that people need to think about and just really evaluate for themselves. Let me let me ask you this. You've raised three boys and these boys have become men and they have their own families. They have their own professional pursuits. They have kids now. What do you think in reflection of raising these boys? What do you think that sons need most from their dad? Affirmation, time and affirmation. Um, I think they need to know that we believe in them. And even if it's different than how we would approach it, I think they need to, you need to find the things that you can say. I don't, I don't know if I understand that, but man, you'll never know if you don't try. And uh, you've got to try. If you feel this strongly and you're passionate about it, the worst thing you could do is fail. That doesn't mean anything. That means you can just start over and realize that, hey, uh, that didn't work. You know, I think, you know, Jared was is very entrepreneurial and he did try several things early on, even musically. You know, I mean, he tried things early on that did not work, no matter how hard he worked. But I also believe it shaped him for the success you know, that he enjoys. And I would say that's with all the boys, Bryce and Chase both, you know, um, so I think they need time. I think they need strong affirmation. I'm intentionally, even now that they've all moved away, that I at least call all three of them once or twice a week and just say, how are you doing? And and let them know I'm proud of what you're doing. I think that is so key. And I've heard that from so many other dads. They talk about they talk about their upbringing, and there's there's one gentleman that I talk to frequently, and he usually brings this up when we start talking about parenting and fatherhood. He said I had so many friends that I, I played football with, and they looked to me because I believed in them, and they would talk about how they never heard their dad say that they were proud of them, yeah. and it just left it just left them puzzled, thinking, "Am I doing things wrong?" Am I not acceptable? Am I not worthy of of this affirmation from my father? Is just is everything that I've done a mistake? And so it, it goes a long way. And and if we don't give that affirmation to our children, apparently it has a lasting impression on them. Yeah. It's going to impact them as adults, uh, and it's going to impact them as an adult if we do give it. And so it's going to have a much better result and it's going to have a more positive impact. And so, yes, wonderful advice to give, give that affirmation to our kids. And can Um, I say this too? It doesn't just, it doesn't end when they're at home. Uh, It needs to continue even when they're 30 and 40 and 50 years old. You know, I I think we, we want to please our dads, you know, and our moms, but You know, so I think it's important that I don't just make myself available. I don't just wait for them to call me. I call them and I would advise every father, no matter what the age is, call your son at least once a week and just say, how are you doing? It matters. I I know my boys want to know what I think of their wives, you know, and their families and how they're doing with their kids. And, you know, so all that matters to 
being a healthy father that they get, you know, me calling them. Now, Carol's, now Carol calls them daily. You know, I mean, I think she does, you know, <laughs> sometimes twice a day. And she's, you know, FaceTiming with the grandkids, you know, uh, and I'll kind yeah. of peek in and pop in. But I feel like it's my job to be proactive and call all three of my sons at least once a week. Usually it's twice a week. And sometimes it's short, sometimes a little longer. And I'll listen to whatever their challenges are for the day. And they usually call me when it's something to do with money. You know, um, you know, how do I do this? What should I do this? What do you think about this? You know, um, yep. if they're making big purchases like homes or investments or something like that. Uh, but I'm very, uh, I call them more than I think they call me. So, yeah. And I think, th- I think that's good too, because I talk about how as dads, we're leaders and being a leader means that you make the first move, you initiate. And so taking that step to reach out to them first, I think is what we are supposed to do as dads. And I love that you say, keep doing it. I think so many men have this idea and this concept of fatherhood that it is uh, more occupational than it is our identity. And so they think, well, you know, I'm a dad for the next 18 years at least, and then they're out of the house and then I get to retire and I get to hang this hat up. And that is definitely not the case. When we become dads, it's a change in who we are as men. It's an evolution that we, that we go through and we're always dads. And so I appreciate you sharing that, that even when your kids are 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, you should still be reaching out to them, asking them how they're doing and giving them the affirmation that they still seek from their dads. I think that is- It never stops. uh, It never stops. Yeah. Such good wisdom. Yes. Well, let me ask you the legacy question that I like to ask everyone that I have on the podcast with me. Uh, And this can be in reference to what we've talked about, or it can be in reference to just fatherhood in general. But what would you say is the best piece of advice that you could give to dads? Well- Number one, keep God first in your life. And uh, I mean, walk with God faithfully, even through your ups and downs, mountains and valleys. Stay connected to the church. Show your kids. It means more than what you tell your kids. And, you know, show your sons that you're Mm -hmm. faithful. Show your sons that, you know, when your marriage is struggling, you work it out. You, you know, you stick it out. Show them when someone's hurt you how you remain consistent and just keep moving forward and staying faithful to God because you are going to get hit in the face. You are going to struggle in your marriage. Everybody's going to think, God, is this going to work? You know, and, uh, but you, um, and everyone's going to get hurt in church, especially if you work in leadership in church, you know, there's going to be times that, you know, it just doesn't work the way you thought it would work. And so I would say, um, my advice would be stay close to God, Get good counsel, get good mentors in your life. Get a truth sayer in your life. Someone that can be honest with you. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. But you've got to have people that you know they genuinely and authentically love you. Because not all advice can come from a dad. It can come from, you know, a a pastor or someone in your life. So uh, I would say keep God first, fear God. And uh, those two things go a long, long way and put the favor of God and help you navigate. Because there's been times as a husband, you know, I thought, goodness, is this marriage going to make it? And I feel my fear of God says, Mark, if you don't make this right, if peace is going to be in the home, 
It's my responsibility. It's not Carol's responsibility. It's my responsibility as the head of this home to keep peace. So I'm going to be the first one to apologize. I'm going to be the first one to say I'm sorry. And same thing with my kids. I remember one time with Bryce, I would always say you can fake a lot of people out, but you don't fake your kids out. Our kids know exactly who we are. We can act all spiritual and everything else in church, but our kids know what we are behind the scenes. And I remember one time Carol and I had an argument about something. It was stupid probably. And and I was kind of a little mad and I was going to pout out and get in the car and Bryce was going with me. And of course, Bryce is really close to his mama. We're driving down the road. It's really quiet. He knows I'm mad. <laughs> he goes, Dad, you know that statement you always say about you can fake a lot of people out, but you can't fake your kids out? And I was like, the father of me wants to, but you don't know everything. You don't know what really happened. <laughs> it's not your business. But I knew that was his reality at that moment. And so, man, I pushed the speakerphone on the car, and I called Carol right then. And I said, Carol, I'm sorry. I was an idiot. I should have never talked to you like that. That wasn't fair. And that wasn't right. Because there was two things that happened. Number one, I needed to do it. Number two, Bryce was watching me. And, and I wasn't faking him out. You know. And so I think it's important that we learn how to say I'm sorry to our boys. And when we, when we were too harsh, when we talked too strong, uh, when we weren't present, when we missed their game, whatever it is. You know, I think it's important that we own our mistakes and because I think it does let our kids know, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not a, I'm not the perfect husband or dad, um, but I want you to know I realize I made a really foolish move there and I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Mark, that is incredible advice. Everything you've shared today on the podcast has has been so good. Just sound wisdom, just from the fundamentals of you know, you make sure that you have a fear and you have a reverence of God all the way through just allowing your kids to have some some leeway and to trust them and support them and then to continue to do that as they grow and they're out of your home and out from under your roof and just continuing to be dad as they need you to be dad, being the dad that they need. I think this is really what you're what you're getting at. Um and then having having that personal integrity, um, setting that example. You know, not just not just showing them or not just saying something to them, but showing them, even in showing them that you pray and showing them that you read the Bible and letting them be present when you're actually acting out this faith that you claim, um, even wrapping it up with apologizing in front of them so that they know, you know, I've heard what dad said and I see what dad does and dad made it right. Dad, dad did what dad said he should be doing. Uh, I, th- I think that that is such great advice and clearly it worked out for you clearly it worked out to where your three boys again they are all out on their own they're successful they're married they have kids uh, and they still have a good relationship with you being able to reach out to them once or twice a week if not more um that's not that's not always a common practice and i think that that's that is a good piece of advice that dads need to take with them so I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on and I appreciate you taking the time to, to share your experience and your wisdom on raising boys with us today. Well, man, Anthony, I thank you for asking me. I love this topic um, because I feel like we're all trying to be better at what we do, man. We missed the mark, you know, many times and, you know, we can let that beat on us and, uh, and then we kind of shy away from even trying 
because I think that's what the enemy is great at is causing guilt and shame. And, and I hope that out of this, every father would realize I need to go have a conversation with my son today. And I hope that's the takeaway from this, this podcast is I'm going to call my son today. I'm going to go grab lunch with him if it's possible, or at least have a conversation. Just say, I love you. And I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the way you lead your family. I'm proud of the way that you're independent. And I'm proud of the way that you love your God and you're passionate about him and the things of him. And I want you to know, I'm, I, I just could not be more ecstatic. Again, they're not going to do it exactly like we do it. And they have a right to do that. And so I, I pray the takeaway is that after this call, that fathers will so much want to call their sons and say, you know, I sent a text, Anthony, not long ago um, to all four of my kids. And I just sent them a text, each one privately. And I said, I just want you to know I love you. I want you to know I'm proud of you. And I remember when I did this in each of their lives. I know there's times that I was either too hard or too ignorant <laughs> or too something, you know. And there were key moments in all four of my kids' lives that I regretted, you know, that I did or had a conversation with. Or, um, And I said, I, I'm thinking of this situation. And I just want you to know I love you. And I feel horrible that I said that or did that. And, and would you forgive me? And because I love you so much, I would not want that to be the only memory. I would like for you to at least have the memory that I knew that I did it wrong. And I apologize. And so I hope today the takeaway is that some fathers will make those calls. Well, if you're listening to the podcast today, now you know what to do. Stop listening to this and go call your kid and let them know you're proud. Let them know you love them. Mark, thank you again so much for being with me. This has been an honor and it's been a blessing, not only to me, but I know it's going to be a blessing to every dad that listens to this episode. Yeah. Thank you. I'm proud of you and Lindsay and your family. I watch you on, on social media as well. And uh, what a great host in, on this podcast. Great questions. So thank you. Thank you. I want you to do me and yourself a favor. I want you to flag and save this episode that you can come back and listen to this time and time again as you need to, because Mark shared such great wisdom and reflection from his experience raising his sons. He had so much good to contribute to the topic, and I'm not going to rehash it all. I want you to go back, and I want you to listen to it again and again, and I want you to extract the principles and the guidance and the wisdom that he shared. But let me do this. Let me echo Mark's prayer at the end of our interview, and that is, in 60 seconds from now when this episode is over, Get your phone, text, call your kids, let them know you love them, let them know that you are proud of them, and let them know that you are always there for them. Don't wait. Go ahead and do that. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. Thank you so much for being with me, and I hope you will join me next time. Thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future. If this episode has served you or you believe it will serve another dad in the future, make sure that you leave a like, a comment, a review, or share this so that it can reach another dad. And so that you don't miss out on another episode, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, for more great content, head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com.